Hello FPL managers. Welcome to the 49th episode of the FPL Optimized podcast. This is the podcast in which we combine analytics with the good old eye test. I am your host Sertal and my casual manager co-host Bas is enjoying a well-deserved vacation. Data or grass or data and grass, that's the question. Thanks for tuning in again. After debating a lot whether we should be back for the new season or not with Bas, we have decided to give it another try. And once we have decided to do it, Bas immediately said he is leaving for vacation and he won't be here. So I should probably record an episode or two by myself. And it gave me the golden opportunity to bring more analytics focus uh, managers as guests. Today, I will be joined by a true master of FPL in terms of analytics, none other than the number one ranked manager in massive data rankings, Johnny Curry. Johnny also finished FPL in top 1K, 909, do I remember correctly? A truly amazing feat. As far as I know, Johnny is not doing analytics for a living, but some of you might be wondering how he's topping the charts in FPL. Well, let me tell you, Johnny, also known as FPS Spaceman, has taken the art of decision-making to a whole new level. We will try to learn his secrets, strategies, and how he uses the data into a winning FPL team. Whether you are a veteran FPL manager or a newcomer to learn the ropes, I believe Johnny will give us some great insights today, or that's at least what I'm hoping. Before we dive into the world of FPL analytics, Let's know our extraordinary guest a bit. Johnny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Siltap. It's weird <laughs> hearing you say data or grass or data and grass instead of bass saying it. But um, yes, good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And as far as I know, you do UX design for a living. So I'm a little bit curious, how did you end up playing FPL with analytics in the first place. So how did you start playing FPL and how did you become an analytics convert? Yeah, so I'd played FPL for quite a while and I remember playing um, it was like Match Magazine um, fantasy like way back when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11. And <laughs> I, was, I wasn't that good at it. I just you played, friends played. Um, so my first concept of fantasy football was just like playing with your friends and like the mini leagues and I knew that someone won overall, but I didn't really like have a concept of, oh, I should try and finish top 50K or 100K. I was like, I just want to beat my friends at it. Um, so then I started watching a bit of YouTube content uh, a few years ago, which was just more like sort of helping narrow the shortlist of players I was looking to pick from. So I'm not doing anything stupid or, you know, or suboptimal, I guess is what we'd say. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's like sufficiently good a move if I was considering it and it's like, they're all talking about how he's going to get dropped um, or, you know, he's playing further back or that kind of thing. Then I'd, I'd pick a few things up like that. But generally it was just like trying to pick players who I thought would do well and drop the players who've got injured or not playing and that kind of thing. Um, and did all right. I had some top 100k finishes and I had a few good close battles with some of my friends. Mm -hmm. I remember one that went down to the last day of the season and we we tied on, on points overall. Um, and actually, it was the it was the season when the Man United Bournemouth game got moved on the last day of the season to the Tuesday because of the bomb scare. So like we went into that game knowing that there was like a five point gap, and it was like Valencia versus Rashford or something. And Valencia got an assist right at the end, which got him two bonus, caught five points on Rashford, level on 
points, didn't know what happened. And then I updated the next day and it said I'd won because I'd done one less transfer. <laughs> or oh, so I didn't know what I was doing. yeah, we didn't know. We we're just like, oh, I've done fewer transfers. Um, so yeah, that was that was fun. But like, if we'd finished two hundred k, I wouldn't really have known. Um, and then getting a bit more into the community, found like FPL Twitter, had found accounts like you and FPL Kiwi and FPL Review and Simon, um, who were talking more about using analytics for mm-hmm. um, predicting points and picking your team and actually like, I guess the concept of bookies odds being something that could kind of roughly reflect reality or at least like the average case or they're not going to be way off so if i if i think that one player is going to score and the bookies are saying something completely different then i should probably rethink it um and then i'd already done some like math statsy stuff in um athletics i used to do track and field mm-hmm. um and there's like a lot of data there's like ranking systems for who's run the quickest time who's um won the most races that kind of thing and i used to do like a bit of stuff with that quite rudimentary just like i guess most people kind of just was like oh johnny can remember the rankings or i know that they ran this time on this day and that kind of thing so i wasn't actually doing anything super clever with it um but i was interested in stats i've done maths as like my degree at uni um so then i built my own model a couple of seasons ago um just to get a feel for like how how does a model work so if i try and build my own then like i can build something really simple and go well i know what the deficiencies are here i know what's in it so some models will like take penalties out and then i'll go okay well like i've not added penalties in so i can mentally adjust the penalty mm-hmm. bit or i know i haven't accounted for someone playing out of position so i'll do that mentally so it's just like baseline metrics mm-hmm. um and then i realized that my model just wasn't as good as the ones that are available so i stopped it was getting clunky and I stopped using it i was like oh i'll use other models that are better than mine <laughs> um, and found your stuff on like optimization solvers um and worked to be done with that and stuff from you and trout and lots of other people in the community found the discord server um that you run and got chatting with a lot of like-minded managers and now that's kind of how i play fantasy is actually like talking with these other like-minded managers and playing in this kind of way and actually like kind of half playing for data and then separately I have some players who are playing football at the weekend that I can support and I almost kind of view it as like two different games it's like mm-hmm. I pick the best fantasy football team and then the reason fantasy football is a game is because it's a drive engagement for the Premier League so yeah. and I watch the Premier League and I'll watch a game I might not have watched and I go I've got this player as a result of the other game that I played. Mm-hmm. And then I want to cheer them on. But if they don't <laughs> play well, then fine, whatever. Um, which was the same with like Formula One Fantasy. I played last year as well. Mm-hmm. Didn't know too much about it. Um, recently got into F1 and it just meant I had some drivers I was supporting. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the fantasy football journey, but more analytics-y recently. And yeah, it's a good community to be a part of. And Awesome. I think developing your own model and then eventually giving up is almost like a you know requirement for to become yeah. a true analytics manager. Like every one of us, I think, tried building a model at one point and then gave up and said that, okay, some others are all, already doing it. So I will just follow it. Well, that's great. So then your transition of, well, not exactly using analytics to the degree of maybe like Uh, prediction models and optimization to now that you are using them 
so was it a, a like slow transition or did you you know change like over a season did you say that okay I, to the, this season i will just follow the data a little bit more closely yeah i think the season i built my model i didn't run it the whole season even mm-hmm. i ran it up to the point when like double game weeks came in and i realized that the way i'd built it it just oh. couldn't really do double game <laughs> now yeah. that it's like rebuild it or fudge around it or just this i could do blanks i could just like just give someone zero but trying to like add two games together because i built it in like google sheets i wasn't even building it in like proper code or anything um and i was like oh like i hadn't thought about this point so part of that's when i was like okay well i can use it and i'm helping my decision making but i'll use other models someone else has built one that's got um double game weeks built in which is a fairly key part of the game um so i think that season was my first like i think that was two seasons ago maybe last season um was my first season of like playing with data rather than mm-hmm. just like picking players that i thought would be good and maybe like checking the form on the website or mm-hmm. that's there or going like well actually like this guy's play you know checking stuff there's stuff on the website there's statistics it's like a you know statistics isn't like black and white like yeah a goal is a statistic they award points for stats it's just it's yeah. a much more yeah. rudimentary stat so if you're trying to predict goals you can use goals you can use expected goals. You can use a complicated finishing model on top of it. You know, you're just layering up further and further. Exactly. I was using very rudimentary stuff. I was just like, who scored some goal? Yeah. Uh, oh, this guy's playing up front. I'll pick him. Um, and then that season, I was like going, okay, like the data is suggesting this player. And I might not mm-hmm. have thought about them. So I'll start making picks where I hadn't considered it, but the data had suggested it. I remember Lewis Dunk being one that my model loved. Um, and being really excited about, like, I've got to buy Lewis Dunk. Um, <laughs> he wasn't super popular. And I think in the end, I realized I'd made an error and I was giving him like three bonus every game or something silly. Oh, I'd, I'd done something wrong. I'd like doubled his bonus <laughs> by mistake. So he wasn't as good as my model thought he was. Um, whereas this season was the first one where I kind of went, like, okay, like the data rankings are almost a mini game to play for. Like, um, I almost I remember last last summer kind of thinking like not I'm not going to care about the overall but I was like if I can just play the data as well as I can hmm. and what happens then I remember describing it with one of my other friends it was like well it's almost like um if I can create enough expected goals worth of chances by like eking out more and more more minutes mm-hmm. on the pitch more chances than my friend who's like better at picking up things with the eye test and spotting that this guy's getting the right position so i'm going to pick him if i can get enough more expected goals enough more ev out mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter or it doesn't matter as much how much i'm like converting that to real points mm. okay like, so he he was like oh so you're playing like darwin almost <laughs> like i will create loads of expected goals or i'll try to and if i can do that successfully even if i'm missing some I'm going to beat people who are like overperforming, but their expected value is lower. Yeah. Well, that was the theory. Um, so I was like, well, you know, if I if I can get a really high data ranking, then it's unlikely I'll have a really bad season. I might yeah. still get unlucky, and there are some people who are like below fifty percent of luck in the top ten k. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like my variance <laughs> wasn't super high. It was like. Well, technically, I was the unluckiest manager in the top 1K. 
Mm. I still got a bit lucky. And actually, <laughs> the data I was getting lucky. But like in terms of conversion from yeah. DB to points, I wasn't getting as lucky as these top guys. But because I generated enough mm-hmm. underlying data, then I was going to hopefully finish. And that was, that was kind of the theory. So this season was the first one where I was like all in on the data. So to speak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was one of the questions we have received. Samba FPL asked if you yeah. have aimed to have a good MD rank, or it just happened. So, from your answer, I understand that you kind of thought that if if you get a good MD rank, or if you maximize your expected value, then you will hopefully do better in FPL too, right? So you kind of you were always aiming to get a good rank in MD. Yeah, I think so. I think, like, it was kind of halfway in between. I think towards the end, once I realized that, like, I could win, mm. then I, I was, that's when I was like, well, I'll just go for MD1. Like, it's variance enough anyway. My mm-hmm. rank's already, like, high enough to be a PB. I don't really care where I finished within the top web. I wasn't going to win, and I wasn't going to drop outside the top 10K unless I had a stinker. So I was like, I might as well go for MD1 and see what happens and actually like I didn't really make any different decisions than I thought I would compared to if I'd been going for overall rank but it was in my head I was like okay like I might as well try and win this um whereas throughout the season it was more like I want to just do as well as I can on the MD rankings and you know I still care about the overall rank like if you pick a really good player and they miss three penalties Mm-hmm. You're still annoyed, even if you go and yeah. like, well, great, I've picked the player on penalties and he's got the penalties. That was good. But there's also the level of, well, he didn't score them. So that's bad. But you know, like, I made a good decision, but the outcome wasn't so good. So I was mm-hmm. using the MD to kind of like check, like, is my decision making process effective here? Um, yeah. And I think that's one of the things the review talks about it. The, the, <clears throat> the gap between one and 100 MD and actually anywhere in the top, well, depending on your, your target. Yeah, top 500 top 1000 like it doesn't really make a huge difference you're just got to be like sufficiently good or sufficiently high so i wasn't like i must win but i was like i'd like to get sufficiently high enough that i can say i've had a good season mm-hmm. and there's luck involved as well i remember picking like triple man united on um the post world cup wild card mm-hmm. and actually like i thought well we might get the double dropping so i'll hedge my bets that way and it did drop so then yeah I'm in a better position. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it hadn't dropped, it dropped later. Like that dropped well for me, which meant I already had the doublers, which meant I then had the opportunity to like make transfers outside of those Man United players, which other yeah. people were using on buying Man United players, things like that. So you yeah. still get lucky even in the accumulation of massive data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd like everyone wants a good overall rank. That's like, I don't want to win my mini leagues. I just saw going for a high massive data ranking as a way to try and do that. Yeah. I think, yeah, massive data ranking is good in terms of like it's giving you also another uh, like alternative metric to aim for because if mm. your season is not going well, especially, I mean, if it is going well like yours, I mean, it's not a huge issue, but if your season is not going well, if your variance is very quite negative, like if you are below, way below 50% variance, then MD rank is at least giving you the sense that you did everything you could probably, and you can even improve your MD rank uh, Like if you keep playing. I think for myself, the um, one of the 
most annoying thing was I sacrificed some expected value, hoping that I will, you know, get a good return in FPL at least. And then it didn't happen. So it impacted my, you know, actual FPL season and also MD rank. So those game weeks are the worst. Yeah, but yeah overall. The whammy, whereas at least <laughs> yeah. when I went like, oh, it was close and I picked the one that was marginally higher mm-hmm. EV and it doesn't work. And I go, well, I had a reason for doing that. Yeah. And you win on one metric. And yeah. it, you, you, so you win on one or maybe both. Whereas if you pick some, well, slightly lower EV, you might have a very good reason for it. But like yeah. you could have the double loss. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my next question is actually kind of related to that. Um, so FPL Thomas Jones asks, how loyal were you to FPL Review's most optimal algorithm picks each week? If not 100%, what variables did you consider and change? So I'm just hoping to learn when you realize that you can actually finish Massive Data Ranking is in number one spot, um, did you follow just FBI reviews recommendations or did you consider something else on the side like he asked um well, I think most of the time I wasn't actually using I was more using the Python optimization solver that mm-hmm. we've built as it well mainly you as a community <laughs> um I haven't I haven't contributed to it um more so than actually review website itself it's still useful and actually you know I can operate it on my phone so I can just check a few things um, but I think what some people, or what I feel like some people misunderstand about review and optimal mm-hmm. is that it's kind of just like a snapshot of that moment in time. Yeah. So I think I even did like a, like a race chart graph. I don't think I put this on Twitter. It was in the discord server leading up to free hit 32, which everyone was playing. Mm-hmm. And I like, took the EV every half an hour or so through the day. And then like plotted it out and actually the optimal team changed all the time through the day so depending yeah. on when you logged on to pick your team you're gonna have a different if you go optimal free hit team it's going to be different because it's changing because sentiments are changing and news comes out so actually what what it what the review site shows when you press you know depending on all your settings as well like what mm-hmm. have you picked for free transfer value what have you picked for everything um decay all that sort of thing your own x minutes that you can input and change and say i think this guy's going to play or i don't think he is then even then when you press you know calculate the optimal move under all of these conditions that's still a snapshot of yeah. the reality the reality is dynamic it's like a i kind of look at it like a, like an ecosystem mm-hmm. so i would try and like tinker with the ecosystem and like break it and see <laughs> what's going to like robustly hold up yeah so it did a lot of like sensitivity analysis, which I think one of the other questions about we can cover mm-hmm. all that. Um, to kind of go like, okay, maybe um I think Martial Bruno Fernandez is another one that came up, was like actually Martial's predictions were a little bit higher. But like, is it greedy to try and take that EV now, but potentially like well, Martial's injury prone, he wasn't necessarily gonna even gonna play that double game week, let alone yeah further on. Um, and your team might be really well set up to account for that kind of punt. You might have everything set up and you go, okay, I can afford to try and grab this market. Mm-hmm. But to try and understand that, you can try and play with things or you can change X minutes and go like, okay, like this might be the top one here. But let's say uh, I've also got Reese James. And let's say Reese James gets injured this game week. Like, does my team struggle or does my team kind of cope with it? So if your team's going to, 
really struggle to cope with this punt because you've got another punt who might restructure. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe that means that you just change those both out and there's two viable alternatives below it. But it's not just like who's the top pick. It's like who's below him. How does that affect your team structure? What happens if this goes wrong? Um, don't be like... The algorithm is going to be greedy. A computer yeah. doesn't think like this. The computer just goes top pick mm-hmm. by point naught one. So I'll take him, or point one, or whatever, or whatever you think. You know, you you might even just have your own intuition of I think this player Martial could score a hat trick. It's like we well, could, yeah. But like, <laughs> if your team can't cope with him getting injured instead of scoring the hat trick, then the gamble is huge because the loss is massive, even though the gain might be massive. So. It wasn't always just logging on half an hour to go and pressing click. It was like through the week kind of testing out the waters and like what happens if this guy comes back or what happens if um, this guy moves out of position or this mm-hmm. guy gets penalties or these guys' minutes drop or that kind of thing and actually just testing out what's robust, what what, what can I break, what's going to hold up to the most possible scenarios and especially with like the double game weeks when we're like, we've got uncertainty on those. What if the double drops in here? What if it doesn't? What if this game gets postponed? And the more you can test it and go like this player, this, this move is robust to all of these decisions, then you're more likely to be sufficiently high on the MD. It's not having the top MD every week. It's like never tanking, never having a disastrous fall apart. Yeah. Um, it's kind of so. I guess the I mean the variables are X minutes as well. So that's that's one of the things. The defaults are very good, um, but I think the variables I'll try and pick in is like what happens in the scenario that something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So because there's so many of those, and I don't really I can't think through all of them. I don't have the yeah. cognitive load to do that. That's where the computers are good because you go. I've thought of four or five, somewhat unlikely but plausible scenarios what happens to my team in each of those? And you ask the computer and it'll tell you um, to a degree. So it's it's a tool. It's not something to tell you what to do. You can do quite well. If you just take the top pick with half an hour before the deadline each week, you'll do pretty well. But if you want to do better than that, then you need to like use it rather than just take the default. Yeah. It's funny because... Uh, the progress of things is like people were playing FPL without, you know, help of data, or I, I should say maybe advanced analytics. And then there came to a point where people started using prediction data and also this kind of like algorithms or maybe like solvers so that they can simplify things a little bit. And then we realized that, okay, it's not enough to run the algorithm and get one squad. You need to get multiple of them and consider, you know, what will happen, uh, like a, if a player is injured or he gets rotated or maybe a double game week uh, appeared in the schedule now. So, yeah, now it feels like, you know, we went through that phase, like we were kind of like reducing our workload so that you can just run the algorithm and get the solution. But then now it's more. arrived to a point that we, <laughs> we are still working as much as we yeah, were, yeah. you know, originally. but. It's a different kind of work now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though, and I think like I find that fun. That's what it is. some yeah. people don't. Um, and the other thing with the snapshot thing is like the EV projections are like an average. So like this yes. is the baseline. So someone like Edison, for example, like if you take out 
saves and everything and just assume that there's a 50% chance of a clean sheet or something, then he's going to score two or six mm-hmm. each week, which is the common trope for Edison. It's like he doesn't get saves, he gets some clean sheets, two or six. If he gets those 50% of the time each time, his average is four. Yeah. But if you have him for one game week, you can't score four. You score two or six, so you're always wrong by yeah. two points. So it's it's like a probability distribution. So like four is the average, but they overlap and, you know, two or six, maybe someone has an average of four by having zero or eight. And that's different, yeah. even though the EV is the same. So as well as it being this snapshot in time, it's also a snapshot in the point in the probability distribution of what they might do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And so regarding the sensitivity analysis, uh, we have received a question. Ted Lasso Regen from Discord asks, what is sensitivity analysis and how did you, how did Johnny use it help him to do so well last season? Uh, I mean, I feel like you're more qualified than me to do <laughs> analysis because I'm basically I mean, using your, your yeah. script. But very basically, it's just simulating these. So you take these point values for like, mm-hmm. okay, well, we can fairly accurately guess the average mm-hmm. and this kind of range of distribution i think you and trout looked at like how how this probability distribution forms around this average so like Mm -hmm. based on the amount of expected minutes we can give a rough idea of the standard deviation so how much it's going to like widen the curve or narrow the curve so using that as like the noise then we just simulate it and go well we'll simulate Mm -hmm. one run and go for the next however many game weeks every player gets randomly placed according to this probability distribution function around their expected value. And then you use the optimizer to like go through and try and pick the best team. So the high mm-hmm. team given this simulation and you run loads of 50, hundred, however many, maybe you try a few different. Um, I'd often try and do it with like different settings. So if I up the free transfer value, mm-hmm. if I want to be more, prudent my free transfers this is another one where you're like you're trying to break it so like mm-hmm. a the free transfer value suddenly comes really high because some information we need to hold on to does this move still work or have i been greedy here mm-hmm. so you mess with the the decay base and this sort of thing and you simulate and you basically go like who popped up the most and that was normally like a good proxy for like this is a robust move this happens in all these different scenarios whereas if you just simulate once you do an optimization solve with one with the the ev values the average then that's where you have that greediness that sometimes comes in so it'll mm-hmm. take the point one above but actually in the probability function if that player ends up scoring below that then you should have picked the other guy and that yeah. happens more often than not so it kind of shows you like which players are more robust so you simulate in the season basically okay um we have these averages we simulate it we see who's in the optimal team each time is sort of, I guess, a basic description of it. Yeah. So my follow-up question is, suppose you're testing two different things. Like It could be like, uh, what if fixture remains the same versus what if fixture gets another game so that we, we will have a double game week here. How many times do you run the you know, sensitivity analysis for each of these scenarios to have a to to get that good sense of you know this is the percentages for every player so do you run it like 10 100 yeah i mean i guess 
the right answer to this is probably as many as you can. Yeah. Um, like if you can run it all day and all night, then more data, great. The, more you get, <laughs> you know, the, the less that you have to be wrong. But I think as a bare minimum of like this data would be valuable to me, I'd say like 30 to 50. Mm. Um, or I'd normally try and run it 50 times. I think for like, if I was doing like a specific snapshot, I think 50 was, I mean, this is finger in the air stuff. This yeah. wasn't like, I know after 50 Sims that I have a 95% confidence rating in whatever. I just went, oh, 50 seems about right. And for you doing 10, it just, you know, feels like you might get it wrong. 50 seemed about right. 100 if I could. Um, but yeah, there was some really good, I'm going to give some shout outs to Ed, um, SJFPL and Spiros, or Spiros. Um, who wrote these scripts because when I was first mm. doing it I was probably only doing 10 because I was just doing it one by one I was just <laughs> doing one saving the CSV file writing it up and then doing like 10 that would take like an hour to do 10 yeah and I'd manually count it up and go like okay but you still get a picture you're still exploring you're still kind of using this yeah. window to see into reality um whereas there are now some scripts that we've got in the solver that yeah. like let you run 50 <laughs> Yeah. sort of you can run like five at a time and just have them run 10 and it's kind of running simultaneously and allows you to do them much quicker so i think if i was like oh i would just want to test out like what if this fixture comes in i try and run 50 and then i'd run it without 50 and also that meant if like there was a a call on this fixture is either here or here 50 of each is 100 and then it's easy like the percentages are just the occurrence out of 100 um but it dep- I, I like it depends what you've got the capabilities to do. If you if you're using, um, you know, just the the online version or FPL review or mm-hmm. doing it mentally yourself, then ten to twenty would be enough to as long as you understand the limitations. Like I've only run ten to twenty. This isn't as likely to be accurate. If if you run ten or twenty and someone pops up a hundred percent of the time, it's pretty unlikely that you shouldn't have them. Yeah. If you run 10 and someone's in half of them, then you're unsure. But if you run 50 and they're in half of them, then you go, okay, well, this is a 50-50 call. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might run 10 and he's in half of them, and then you run another 20 or 30 and yeah. he's in 80% or 20%. Like, the less you run, the more likely it is that, I guess the wide, you know, the, it's blurry. Yeah. Your error bars are higher. Um, 50 seemed like a, a ballpark number that I was running. So I assume themselves. that was mm-hmm. what I did. Uh, I don't know if that's why it worked or, <laughs> or what. That's 50 seems to be a common one that people do. The round number. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was trying to run at least 40 um, because, you yeah. know, central limit theorem and all that. But yeah, I think as many as you can probably is the right answer. So um, one thing that I was wondering is actually yeah before that when i heard that people were using the sensitivity sensitivity analysis manually i felt really bad because i introduced (laughs) it at one point and then i just completely gave up and i used it myself but for the python solver on the github i just you know left it there (laughs) so that yeah i'm glad yeah spiros came up yeah i mean i think Sometimes that's been one of my strengths is that I'm sometimes willing to put in this manual. I don't find it that boring. Obviously, it's much better that we can do it automated, but I'll quietly brute force something for, I don't know, if that's just my mindset. 
I, I, I can do that. So I think that's why I was like, oh, what if I just brute force it? Sometimes that's my solution because I don't, I don't know how to write the script to automate it. So I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I could brute force it. So I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, whereas I think most people would go, well, that sounds stupid. I'm not doing that. So, <laughs> yeah, um, different personalities, I guess. Yeah. So then I also assume that you use sensitivity analysis, obviously for, you know, your, you know, game week one squad and or maybe like wildcard squad, but do you also use it um, during, you know, a regular decision in a regular game week like suppose yeah, like it I'm is fine. like we yeah. don't have any chance of double game weeks happening or something like that like for example think, in game week two this season yeah I, I think i would still run. i remember running it at the start of this season i made a bit of an odd call in game week three last season i sold <laughs> harland after game week two i sold him for kane okay um which let me go that's a very bold move by the way <laughs> yeah uh didn't really work yeah but i think i managed to sort of hang tight because everyone else i picked did really well so yeah everyone was like oh captain salah instead of harland for his two hat tricks and i'm like i didn't own him <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, oh, God, yeah that's an um, easier decision kane though. was doing quite well so actually kane yeah, he did. went under the radar a bit um so actually I remember then I'd use some sensitivity analysis and I, I think I took a bit of a gamble because I was like, yeah. I wasn't so hot on Haaland's minutes. I thought he was going to be benched for one of the first six or seven, Yeah, um, which was wrong in the end, but you, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, we didn't um, have any. Very often so always. I will still run it. And I think if it's close, it's definitely something I'll run. Hmm. If, if it's a week when, I guess if I'm particularly busy or the top move just looks so obvious, like it's so far clear that I'm pretty sure sensitivity analysis would show it up as the top move by a long way, then I don't don't always bother. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's anywhere where I'm like, even just deciding between two moves, I will try and test them out if I've got time. But um, sometimes it's like, well, this player, I have one injured player and a very obvious candidate who's miles clear of everyone else. And then you go, well, that's clearly the move. Maybe you test it out and you want to like, double check and you'd be more sure but i guess once i'm sufficiently unsure is when i'll use it which yeah yeah is actually quite often i'm quite often unsure nice Um, okay awesome well this was great talking about the last season let's talk about the new season a little bit Mm -hmm. and steely then heatley asked what's the optimal amount of weeks to project out your game week one team are you already working on your game one team? Uh, I've done a few drafts, but I think there's there's so much that we can like change between now and the start. I mean, Anana just signed, and everyone's brought him into their team, and you know, someone else can sign, and Kane could leave. I don't know. Harling, <laughs> that's true. So I don't spend too long going like, is this the best team? Have I picked all the right players? But again, I'll do that kind of like scoping out the. How, you know, if I drop Saka, who comes in? If I do this, how, how how do things balance? How do things affect each other? And like tapping into that, you know, poke the ecosystem and see what happens. Yeah. Um, I think most models tend to project about seven or eight game weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. I know some people had theirs like run over the whole season. Um, a Kiwi used to have his just like, it would run all the way through. And obviously you update it. It's not mm-hmm. like, ah, done. There we are. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the point. Um, I think if you're too aggressive in like how many weeks you're targeting, then 
you can sometimes be forced into a wild card. And actually, wild carding quite early used to be quite a common thing. We'd even go mm-hmm. like, I'm planning to wild card in game week three or four or whatever. Um, but I think there's an opportunity loss later on, and you're kind of going like, I am forced to wild. Is if you go aggressive, it's unlikely your team is going to survive for longer term. If you go cautious, then you can still wildcard early on. You can still go, oh, I got everything wrong, and I think I've got an update to wildcard now. But you can survive. You can take over. And I think the loss of opportunity you have in those first few weeks by not going as aggressive is not as much as the opportunity that you would lose by having to wildcard early or having to put up with a suboptimal team and take hits early on. So I tend to err on the side of caution. We don't Mm -hmm. actually really know very much before the season started. Yeah. So you're using the information to go, I want to use the information to to value the early weeks heavily by attacking them. Whereas I think the information you have for later on, a few weeks in, is better. And I'd rather attack that later. Yeah. So if we think about the way we often put like decay on mm-hmm. um like valuing successive game weeks as being less important. Um and I think it was it might have been a few others have done it. Trout came up with like it's around 0.84.85 roughly mm-hmm. Game week two is about 80 to 85% as important as game week one in terms of valuating expected value, which if you use that gives game week eight at about 30%. I hope I've done my maths right. Someone's mm-hmm. going to correct it. Um, game week eight is roughly 30% as important as game week one. And game week eight is accounting for like 5% of the total game week one to eight with decay in. So that's kind of enough to kind of warrant, oh, well, it's going to maybe affect it, or it might be the difference change between like one or two players if they're really close. Like what's going on there is important. Whereas like game week four is like 60% is important yeah. roughly with this metric. And game week four accounts for about 20% of the game week one to four total, which I think is too much to go like looking at the first three or four weeks and discounting game week four or five. Like that's quite a big chunk of importance. <laughs> I think once you get to eight, nine, ten, then the percentages are like sufficiently small that you can cut it off, or you know you'll have changed by then. You'll have made seven transfers by then, possibly even more. You might have walked other already. Like you don't know. You might not have to count that at all. So I think it's still important to weigh it in. Um, so I think mm-hmm. seven or eight is like six to eight is ballpark what people seem to have settled on. Um, yeah. But it it depends. Some people are talking about like wild card nineteen looking quite good. Like, <laughs> well, maybe, but you're not planning up to game week nineteen, are you? You're just saying like I want to get through to game week eight and be fine. Um, so you're still thinking about it. But I think if you're only doing three or four weeks, I think you are overdoing it mm-hmm. in terms of aggressiveness. You can still have a couple of punts, but I'd say six to eight is probably a sweet spot. Okay, awesome. And another question, Ross M from Discord asked, which players does JC ban from review? Do you ban injury-prone players such as Reese James when you... Yeah, so we talk about um, <laughs> banning all Everton players. <laughs> a running joke, running theme that we have sometimes. So I don't, I don't actually ban anyone, I don't think. Um, I'll more like 
tamper with their X minutes and be like, well, if Reese James is popping up quite a lot, like how low do I have to drop his expected minutes before he's not showing up? And kind of find that like tipping point. So I guess I'll ban them if I'm like, like a lazy way of going like, well, I know I'm not having them. So, Mm -hmm. or maybe like, I think there was one time where it's kind of like between James or Chilwell uh, or Luke Shaw like a week later. And maybe this was like game week 27, 28. And I was like, okay, so it's like James or Chilwell or Shaw a week after that. And I was like, actually, it was quite close. But if I kind of viewed it as like a Chelsea fullback or Luke Shaw, mm-hmm. then the Chelsea fullback was higher. So I was like, actually, if I ban Reese James, how many of those times does it just buy Chilwell instead? And how many does it go to Shaw? And actually, yeah. quite often it was picking Shaw um, rather than just Chilwell or Shaw. Because the thing with the sensitivity analysis is it's just a count. You're just counting how often it picks up. So yeah. actually, you want to toy with it and go like, okay, well, how are these interacting? Like, maybe it's 50-50 and Buemo and Mitoma. Mm-hmm. And that might be that you always have Mbuemo or Mitoma, but never both. Yeah. Or it might be that like a quarter of the time you have both, a quarter of the time you have one, a quarter of the time you have the other, and a quarter mm-hmm. of the time you have none. So you kind of got to like pick around with it. So I'll never really ban someone unless I'm doing like a shorthand. I'll, I prefer to like find that point that they drop out and go, do I think James's X minutes are higher or lower than this? Cause if wow. it's someone popping up that, you know, maybe James is at like 65 X minutes and I like, Oh, he's popping up even at 50 or 45. Like I'd have to really consider it then and go like, well, even if James like, only plays one of the double or gets injured in a couple of weeks, then like he's still telling me that it's the best pick. Then you can go, okay, well, I've tested this out. This is robust. Even though James is like injury prone, might not play. Mm -hmm. If he can manage one or two games of the next four, it's still putting him in. Then I'd probably put him in, but yeah, certainly there are players where I'd go like, should I, I should just double check there. Yeah. minutes like try and push them down or um so no personal like, yeah, biases it's like, it's like kind of again it's like poking it and seeing what happens rather than going like well i'll just take that piece out um because sometimes he's on like 60 and you drop it down to 58 and he's gone he's disappeared and you're like mm-hmm. oh well clearly that was a very fragile pick i should, I should <laughs> but sometimes you like can push it quite far down and it still says hey, i think you still buy restrains so <laughs> Wow. I should say, yeah, by the way, you're the most hardworking analytics manager I have ever met. Like I, people, people do, and people use optimization or the analytics or numbers, they run numbers now, but the amount of work you do for this is just impressive. Well, the computer's doing most of the work. Well, yeah, but like still. Yeah, all right. So the next question is from our friend Hibo. He asks, how do you feel about cheap benches like three, four million and one, four, four and a half million players? Is it viable or do they bleed expected value? I guess I can't comment necessarily on it whether they bleed expected value because say players are underpriced and mm-hmm. you know, the price isn't inherently how much expected value they're going to get. We've had players who were 4.0, who were playing all the time or out of position, who were very good picks. Whereas, like, we've got three 4.0 defenders who might play. Two of them have just been given a blank game week two fixture. 
and one of them is supposedly not necessarily nailed. He was playing because of someone else being injured. So like we don't really have a four playing defender like we yeah. used to get quite often. Would you'd, there'd be two or three, and you'd pick one and hope you got the right one. Whereas I think this time there probably isn't our four point five mids. We don't have an Andres Pereira. We don't have a four point five striker. I don't think we normally got those. Normally that was someone who was mispriced. I guess if Balogun moves, then he's one who would do that. But our 4.5 strikers were normally like Kane when he broke onto the scene rather than, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, Alunstrom and Aaron Wambasaka or someone like that. Or as Baldock and Bayer and Bell, I think the defenders. So I think it can be viable, but I think this time it probably is too fragile. I think that's something where like, the opportunity cost of, um, oh, my player's going to miss a game but is back for the next game. Um, or I don't really want to sell them, but like you're forced to. But then you, if you have two problems occur in game week two and your bench is this, then you've yeah. got to take a hit, really, because you can't really play one of them. Or you're losing out a lot by playing this 4.0 defender <laughs> who might play. Whereas if you've got a bench, you can afford to go, okay, I'll deal with one of these now and one of these next week. Uh, So it's not just like rotating pieces for better fixtures. And people have often talked about rotating 4.5 defenders and that kind of thing Um, to like be slightly better than a 4.5 defender. If you can pick the home games or the easy game, but you also lose the opportunity cost of, I have to fix this problem now rather than, oh, I can just, leave Reese James on the bench because they've got a really easy game week three fixture and I want him back for that because he might be back for that. I can afford to do that because I'm bringing Lewis Dunk off the bench or whatever. So I think it's one of the things that like <coughs> solvers and models have kind of shown of this like fundamental principle that some managers have held. Some of the, some of the fundamental principles that have been built up are quite effective and actually like there are things we overlook like um people say don't transfer your keeper out like keeper tend to have quite similar ev that's often useful doubles it's important um hits in doubles are more viable minus four is minus two (laughs) not quite that but you know there are there are inherent things that people have picked up that are right but we're not very good as humans at like spotting when when we've picked up a false assumption and actually, sometimes that's where these computer programs or solvers can like point them out to us. And I think I was watching a documentary about the history of chess on mm-hmm. Netflix. Um, I watched it a while ago. I think I wrote a really short thread on it back when I first started Twitter. But I wanted to watch it again just to check it because it talks about this like chess is much simpler. Chess is like 64. I mean, it's still complicated, but like mm-hmm. the 64 squares is, well, I don't know, 18, 16 pieces each. Um, so there's like a finite number of moves and things you can do, but mm-hmm. you know, chess started in this, like they call it the romantic era. I'm sure someone yeah. who knows chess more than I do, rather than watching one documentary and playing a little bit is going to correct me, but it started in this like romantic era. You attack at will. You're meant to just gung ho, take whatever artistic expressionism. And that was kind of the era that it's that all of it started. I mean, it started ages ago. This is like more recently. Yeah. And then the scientific school came in and people were like finding these fundamental principles and like we want to control the center and get our powerful pieces more active and opening moves. There's like opening theory. There's like things called book moves, which is like 
in this scenario, we've studied this scenario enough that like this is the best move. We just mm-hmm. don't you don't have to think about it. Just that's the move. Do the book move, unless you're doing something crazy. So it was like this more realistic art art expression expressionism turned into realism. And then came along what they called the hypermodernists, which was this age of like rebellion and surrealist art and <laughs> and possibilities and people going like, oh well, what actually if we break it? And actually, supercomputers then came in and were able to kind of play based on all the human data and go like, okay, well, we can use a bit of this and use a bit of that. And then the next one that came along was Alpha Zero, which was like zero prior human knowledge. They just got taught the rules and told to play itself. So it doesn't have this concept, this emotional concept of like, I don't want to lose my queen, so I'll try and protect it. And this emotional coming into decision making because the computers before were based on human games whereas this was just learning and it would do these like crazy moves sometimes and but actually because it didn't have that inhibition to go like oh maybe i shouldn't do that or we've got this principle that we shouldn't do that it would show people and actually grandmasters were learning from things that alpha zero is doing mm-hmm. because it's like oh it's doing this strategy in this scenario and actually it works out and we go oh well maybe we've had a wrong assumption or this is the exception to the rule or that sort of thing so i think a strong rotating bench is probably the thing that I would think actually goes against our the common intuition of mm-hmm. putting money in the front, the first eleven. Which might have, maybe that was a viable strategy before. Different scenarios, we had cheaper bench options available. I think more recently, like having these rotating pieces is something that the solvers tend to show as being more optimal to yeah a few people with the term um <laughs> so actually it's going okay well the computer can try this out and it often picks a stronger bench you can have you know a 4.5 strike in my draft i've got in a minute like i've got a non-playing guy but i think if you've got two to three non-playing guys and no backup keeper like you're running too much of a risk there yeah personally. yeah um, not just in terms of not being able to rotate players in and out but also in terms of if things go wrong, you're a bit stuck. You're forced to do things rather than being able to choose which piece to attack, which way to Yeah, make. Yeah, you're completely right on this. I mean, when we were running the hindsight uh, optimization, or I should say the re-optimization uh, competition, the notion was like how much percentage weight should be given to bench players so that you come up at the you know very best in terms of FPL outcomes, not the you know projected points. And uh, people submitted different values. We have tried uh, various stuff, and it showed us like maybe like twenty percent for the, your first bench player, and then around six percent for your second bench, and then the third bench player, outfield bench player, obviously is zero point three or something. So that's the only that spot. You, solver usually keeps sometimes solver keeps at that you know bench player and keeps him there but usually rotates because 20 percent is quite a big chunk of ev that you you can rotate and even if you don't rotate anyone so just because of the probability of auto sub or like some other stuff that you might need need this guy like even if you didn't plan it so 20 percent is giving like even if you f- try to fix bench players, you, you say that I will have bench players and I will fix them through the horizon. It is still giving you a good first bench player because yeah. the solver knows that it, it will come handy. Uh, 
And what we wonder the most, do you have a draft already? I asked this, but can you talk us about your picks and why you pick these players? Yes, I have a draft because it was requested. I did actually look and actually <laughs> went and saw like the players I had in my team weren't dissimilar to the draft I ended on. Um, so I think I send you the photo bring up on screen. Okay, just bring it up. So I'll read it out for the, the audio listeners. Um, mm-hmm. We'll start with everyone's favorite, Edison in goal. Um, Ederson M this season actually Ederson M Ederson M (laughs) Uh, I've gone for Gabriel from Arsenal Mm -hmm. Uh, I've put Ruben Diaz in at the minute but that's kind of just any City player like we're far enough out that I I think one of them or at least one of them will be like viable enough that they should play and again Mm -hmm. wrong bench so I can deal with them not playing (laughs) Um, so Man City defender Uh, I've also gone Estupanan um, but I've got Dunk on the bench as well, so I think I've put both of them in. But again, like, I, I mean, I guess if Webster's like starting, I think they've just signed a, a new centre back, so maybe not. Um, but he's like four point five, so I could say four point five and go there. But anyway, so Edison, Gabriel, Ruben, Diaz, Stupinan, Rashford, Bruno Fernandez, Saka, Mbwemo, and Mitoma. So five men in the field, mm-hmm. uh, and then Haaland, obviously, and Gabriel Jesus. And then the bench is just 4.0 um, keeper. I've got Ariola in at the minute, but um, I think Hennessy maybe, or I don't know, just anyone, Fraser Foster. <laughs> I don't know if we'll get one who's playing, but um, currently yeah. just whoever, very important. And then I've got Dunk, and I've put Ethan Pinnock in at the minute. Um, and the most important of all, I've got Huang Uijo as my 4.5 <laughs> striker, um, who... What did I, I looked it up. He he was he got Korean FA Goal of the Year in 2019. Oh, okay. A, a prize formerly won by Hyungmin Son. So <laughs> um, I don't think he's going to play, but I remember we spent a lot of time. You know, people made transfers on their 4.5 striker last season, so it's very important to get that one right. I think. Yeah. Um, and I've got a good a good feeling about Huang Huang Weijo from Forest. Um, but yeah, it kind of sets up in like a a three five two. Um, although as Diltsy would say, formations are, are dead. It's not. <laughs> um, but I think that front is, I mean, it's basically, it's triple Arsenal, triple yeah. City, two Man United, and then you just rotate, you've got three Brighton and two Brentford to just rotate around. So I think the fact that you can get eight players from the top three teams and some very viable upper, you know, lower, upper mid-table lower top half teams to rotate. Um, I guess you know, it just shows what you can do with the money. So, yeah, the big questions are like no Salah, Salah, no yeah. Salah, or Trent, no Trent. I think that kind of like determines the structure of the team. Yeah, that's true. Because things follow on from there. So how many 8.5 to 9.0 mids are you going to have from there? Um, how many 4, 4.0 defenders do you need? 4.5 defenders. Um, so currently I've got neither. Um, but I'm not wedded to that. I think that's just at the minute. I think the big one about Salah is the the EV loss for not captaining him in game week two. Game week two, yeah. But I think if you look at Salah versus the 8.5 mids and Jesus, that kind of like mid-price bracket. So mm-hmm. Rashford, Bruno, Saka, Jesus, Erdegaard, Martinelli, whoever, Son, probably not Son, but that, that chunk. I think game week one and game week three 
they're probably going to be pretty similar expected yeah. value wise, or certainly that's what the ensemble models are kind of roughly showing at the minute. And I think you're probably going to lose one to one and a half EV on Captain C from Harlan to Salah. So <laughs> whether you, but that's just in game week two. So like yeah. you can kind of match Salah in one and three. I think it might be four and five or six. Salah's like a bit ahead, but I think what it allows you to do is it allows you to have four of those players rather than one. Yeah, with you probably have Salah because the swap is probably like Saka and Jesus out to Salah and a, another dud. Um, but I think quite often when I was running the solves uh, preliminary stuff, then like it quite like selling Salah in game week three, even when you started with him. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. Um, yeah, so these like four midfielders or four attackers who are in this like mid price bracket, whatever we want to call mid price eight to nine bracket. Um, I think Jesus I've preferred because um, it just allows you to have these like three other mids and actually you're not stuck with just Haaland and two 4.5s. I don't think there's really many strikers below that range that we're confident about. Calvert-Lewin yeah. is really appealing. Visser maybe, but it depends who's playing. Um, and Kunku I really like, um, but I just, I don't feel confident enough about him. Like I think, and Kunku and Sterling are the kind of players I'd like to like hop on. I think if you start with them, I'm not set on this. It's all just sensations at the minute. But like if if you start with them and it goes wrong, I think you're a bit stuck. Like you you that's the guy you got to move out. Whereas if you start without them, then you can pick whichever of your like five midfielders is not working to bring them in. Mm-hmm. So you've got that flexibility of like oh I can hop on them from wherever. Whereas if I have a problem with one of the other four midfielders and Sterling, then I've got two problems where rather than being able to like pick Sterling up as a as a solution. Um or in Kunku as well. But I think they're both very good options. I like I like people who are starting with them as a punt, but I think I'm just probably gonna pass, I think. Um and then like Watkins and uh Callum Wilson and that kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. they're both really good mm-hmm. options, but I think again it's probably someone where I'd favour the early fixtures of Jesus. Um, and maybe that's someone who come in later, but again, they're like, they're viable off ramps. If Jesus is starting to miss some minutes because Havertz is playing nine or whatever, I, I don't know. Um, or even Martinelli or Trossard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If Jesus isn't looking as nailed, then could always swap him out to Watkins or Wilson. I think that's still good, even though the fixtures aren't so good. Um, and then defence, like there's, there's Trent at eight. And there's Trippier at six and a half. And then there's a couple of 5.5s. I've put, I've put DS in at the minute, but like Shaw and um, Reese James, Chilwell, the other ones as well. Like they're ones <laughs> I can hop on to. Um, but there's so many like 5.0 defenders and 4.5 defenders that I think kind of filling your defense with those and swapping them around is probably going to be the best route. Or actually like, that's kind of what I'm happy on at the minute. And Edison is the best <laughs> in the world. Um, no, I, I mean, I had the budget for him and I think like, I think he was unfairly treated last season. I think he was unfortunate and actually like, I think three of the four seasons leading up to that, like season long, he was like top two or three keepers, yeah. but he doesn't do any, he doesn't hit anything massive normally. He does just tick along, but City would average like 18 to 20 clean sheets a season. Yeah. So like. You know that is that is that fifty percent mark that we were talking about. Like he's going to get 
you don't know. And actually, like even starting last season, I think I had him for the first seven game weeks and he got, well, there was no seventh game week fixture, was it? Yeah. But the first six games, I think he got three clean sheets. So that's mm-hmm. what he was expecting. I had him for six games, got three clean sheets. That was fine. Maybe, you know, there would have been a 4.5 keeper who did better, but I don't know which one that is. Um, yeah, exactly. And you do run the risk. Like City, there is some truth in the, they concede late on having kind of won the game already. But I think there was too much made of that when they'd give away half a chance and they it would get scored. Damari Gray, just banging <laughs> You can't bang on that happening every time. Um, so I don't know. I quite like Flecken as well if if um, Raya moves on. Yeah. Or um, even Fabianski. You go Fabianski, Areola, and then you're like, you've got a keeper for 9.5. Mm-hmm. So, don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's where yeah. we are at the minute. Awesome. Where yeah, this is a pretty good team. Yeah. So, one thing I'm wondering is then to build this kind of a draft when you're running the solver, are you kind of forcing solver not to use any transfers, like not to plan anything? Or is it more like, you know, you're running sensitivity and, you know, hoping that you will end up with a very robust team that you probably won't need any transfers so what i'm asking is do you actually book transfers i don't like book any in i think i think what some people do is they like say you've like tell the solver you've only got three transfers to make Mm -hmm. um i think what i prefer to do is like move the free transfer value up if i think it's like too fragile or it's like booking too many transfers in then i'll just move the free transfer value up and see if it's still doing that because if If you raise the free transfer value to like two and a half and it still does all these moves, then you can probably book them in because yeah. they're probably pretty good moves. If you raised it to four and it was still doing all these moves, then you might as well book them in because at worst it's worth it's four worth points. Hit, yeah. It's unlikely. Often they're not worth four points yeah. unless it's doubles. But I think if you raise it and go, okay, like just, you know, you can make as many as you want, but bear in mind that they're valuable. I'll, I'll give you a mm-hmm. bit more value. So I was just using the default value to start with here. I've not like up okay. too much. Um, and I normally like say don't make transfers in like the last couple of weeks. Like don't dead end because then it'll kind of if you're trying to like tell it what to think, like don't think game week eight is the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so we often like say you know no transfers last one or two game weeks. Um, <laughs> but normally, yeah, I think this was basically just from running. Um, default free transfer value, default um, horizon over yeah. like eighteen weeks, and um, like mixed model. I this I, I think I had a very similar team to this already. I think I just had, I didn't have Diaz. Uh, I had Henry instead of Pinnock, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I had um, I put Sasha Kalajic in instead of Wejo because I I must have thought he might be playing at some point. Um, so actually, I already had this set up from a while Same ago. Strategy, but I thought it was what I'd landed on rather than what I decided was right. And even now, I'd like this might be nowhere near what we pick um, yeah, yeah. on the start of the season. But I think, yeah, I, I ran some solves. I gave a sufficiently high free transfer value that you're incentivized not to use them. But if it's valuable, then you shouldn't tell it not to do something valuable. You know, if 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 there are like four transfers in the horizon that are worth more than four points, and you say you've only got three transfers, you're gonna miss out on that. It seems unlikely, but like I'd rather say transfers are really valuable. And if mm-hmm. it still says 
use loads, take some hits, then you go, oh, well, hits must be viable here. Rather than saying you can't make more than this many, and then yeah. it doesn't take the hit that it you probably should have taken. But early on, I don't think hits are val- uh, valid in the first eight game weeks unless you're scuppered, in which case probably wild card. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, awesome. So then my last question is, um, well, we have a wide variety, we have a wide uh, variety of audience when it comes to uh, background and using analytics. So what would be your advice to players who are discovering the analytics side of FPL for the first time? Because it's a common question and I want to ask, you know, the number one manager in this. So what, like your friend came to you, he said, I don't know anything about analytics in FPL and I want to, you know, get in the action. So what would you recommend? Um, this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, there's lot, there's lots of sites out there that produce models. So I think, like, mm-hmm. most of us use FPL Review. Mikhail Topfam's um, algorithm is also really good. I think those those are the ones whose models, like, stood the test of of um well testing that we'd done last year like all they're all sufficiently good if you're going to use any model then like the ones that are publicly available are all pretty good i think the ones that come from like scout and harp and fix and draft and fpl teams got his own one now as well um maybe not team so they're 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 like you know scout and hub like their websites for everything they have all they have you know articles on them they have tools on them it's not just like here's the model and here's the data mm-hmm. um so I, i'd encourage you to try and build your like how do you think a model might work try and build mm-hmm. your own one like it doesn't have to be any good yeah like it doesn't you, you you go oh, i'm not going to use this model i'm going to use someone else's but like try and go even if you're not looking at data online and going like oh, i'm going to try and predict um clean sheet rates by taking the average number of shots a team is receiving and the non-penalty expected goals mm-hmm. per shot and use a binomial distribution and all sorts. Like, you don't have to do complicated stuff like that. You can just go, yeah. like, I've looked at the tables and City are getting this many clean sheets over the last four seasons, roughly. So I reckon they're going to get 15 to 20 this season. And maybe you, you could even go, like, I think they're going to have them in these games or likely yeah. in these games. But... If you're going, I think City are going to get 20 clean sheets and you look at each game and you give them like a 30 to 40% chance each time, that's not matching up with how many clean sheets you think they're going to get. So it's making sure that each week kind of at least adds up to the total. Yes. Um, So (laughs) you, you can layer on more and more. And this is kind of how my model started and kind of why it got stuck is because it got quite Frankenstein. It was like, here's a really basic model. I know what's not in it. I hadn't put pens in yet. So I was like, I know that if Bruno and Rashford are level, then actually Bruno's ahead because I've not put the pens in. Well, yeah. assuming Bruno's on pens. But you can mentally make the adjustments. So mm-hmm. you can really be like, I think that Haaland's going to score this many goals. I think Salah's going to score this many goals. I think that being at home, well, home advantage has kind of been like calculated roughly at how much it's worth, yeah. depending on goals for and goals against but like you can assign a home advantage each time you can go like you could even just go like this is the base rate this is this player is going to score 0.4 of a goal on average each game based on how many goals i think they're going to score mm-hmm. if i give 0.4 of a goal each game and give them this many points 
and they're going to get this many assists. And I think that they often get this share of bonus. You can add them up and you can already go like, oh, like Saka's better than Mbomo or, you know, but you know how much better they are. You've kind of quantified it. You, your error bars are still quite high, but you can work yeah. things out there. Yeah. And I think you then get an understanding of what the modeling is actually doing yeah. rather than just looking at like, ah, well, six is bigger than five. I'll pick that player. <laughs> Um, yeah. You're like, well, what's behind it? And actually, all models are imperfect. Like, yeah. There is no perfect model. You're just you're adding layers in to reduce your error rate. So if you can make a high error rate model, then you know what you've put in it. So you go, okay, well, I can interpret this because I know what's in it. I yeah. I know what's in this sausage. Um, so you know what mentally you can adjust for. Whereas when you are using someone else's model, like we don't really know what reviews putting in it. Like we always speculate about a player's EV moving down when they're moving out of position or this yeah. other player's injured. And, you know, like we'll try and make mental adjustments on it. A lot of people will go like, well, I think Salah should be higher than that or whatever, yeah. but there's more in it than most people think for one, but like, we don't know how much to mentally adjust because we don't know what's in it. Whereas if you make your own one, it might be much more, error prone but you know how much to mentally adjust the yeah. bits you put in mm-hmm. um so i think and then you can get an understanding of why a solver might try and take a hit here or why a hit normally isn't here because you go oh well even though i think this player's a bit meh or they're playing man city away then i know that their base rate of goals is this and if they're on the lower end they're still going to score like some points mm-hmm. so the hit for a better player They've got to score four more points on average for it to work. So that's quite a lot in one game week. Yeah. So even like, I don't know, Ollie Watkins playing away to Man City and Wilson playing at home to Luton. Mm-hmm. That's probably not worth, like, they're similar standard players. They're going to have similar outputs. One's playing a really hard team. One's playing a really easy team. Maybe it comes out over the long term, but in that single week, it's unlikely that, you know, unless Watkins isn't playing, that the hit's going to be worth it. Yeah. Um, and in these blank weeks, we can roughly get an idea of who's going to score more than four points. So should be worth getting a hit over a blank player. Yeah. Um, so I think just understanding the limitations of the modeling and actually what's going on, um, I think trying it yourself is is one of the things that I've learned the most from. Yeah. Um, but just kind of being open to it and going like, well, there's something to learn from this. Like everyone can learn from this. Even I, I'm learning stuff all the time. Like I don't know what I haven't solved it. I haven't fixed it. <laughs> um. So and there are a lot. You know, if you're not, if you're shut, like I'm not, data's ruining the game. I'm not going to learn from it. Then you're not going to improve. Um. And there's a bit of a like. Uh, I mean, like keep it fun. Like if you're if you find scouring through all this data and building the model and kind of seeing how things come together boring and you'd rather just pick then do that like you don't Mm -hmm. have to play this way but also if someone is playing this way like i find this fun i think people say like you shouldn't do this and no one really says that but you data is breaking the game data is doing this that and the other and i'm like well i'm just playing a different game i'm just enjoying it (laughs) i think i'd really like fpl to kind of like have these different leagues that you can enter so these restrictions a few of us play a few mini games where like mm-hmm. you play with an 90 million budget or 
a few guys played without Haaland last season, and that's just good fun. And that's just another sort of puzzle for us to try and yeah. solve in a different way. So again, this data is just helping you think in a different way. Use it as a tool. Try and play around with it yourself and see what you can come up with. And uh, you know, unusual learnings come from random places. You, you, you listener, hello, you. <laughs> um, you could have the next big breakthrough in FPL analytics just by trying something that no one's thought of before because we're entrenched in our ideas. Like we want new people to be trying things out. And, you know, that's where sensitivity analysis came from was like this idea that a few people had had and going, actually, like, there's a limitation. What if we solved it this way? So there's already limitations of what we use now and people are already coming up with interesting ways to try and solve them. Yeah. So it's a puzzle. Like, that's kind of what FPL is. It's just, it's also about a sport that people are really involved in. <laughs> so I try and see them separately. I see, like We have a maths puzzle that I like to play. And it's super interesting because the bits in the maths problem are football. Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. if, the same, if it was the same numbers, but it was, I don't know, finances or something, I'm not interested as much. <laughs> uh, and it means that the re- I can take the results of my maths puzzle and go and watch the football and go, ah, the player <laughs> I my puzzle has scored, that's brilliant. Yeah. Rather than like it inherently defining me as a person or my decision-making or my understanding of football. Exactly. Yeah. I guess that was a bit rambly, but... No, it was great. Have a play. Yeah, awesome answer. Well, <clears throat> well, there you have it, folks. The treasure of knowledge shared by the MD winner champion, Johnny Curry. I hope you are all as inspired as I am by Johnny's amazing season and advice and also just how hardworking he is before we wrap up the episode let's recap some of the key takeaways uh, from today's episode so so johnny well finished number one in md ranking so we were just curious about how he did it he mentioned about using sensitivity analysis on top of you know optimization and he talked about actually he talked lots of things on this but Uh, trying different combinations, different structures, different parameter values, sometimes different fixtures so that he can get a better sense of which squads are more robust and which ones work better, like structurally. And he also mentioned that he plays with the expected minutes too. That's right, right? I'm not <laughs> making it up. Yeah, I, yeah I'll, I'll, I think I more so play with them to like test and try and break it yeah. rather than Some people have a much better intuitive understanding of like this player is going to play, this player is not going to mm-hmm. play. I don't back myself to do that very well, mm-hmm. um, so I'll I'll tinker with them and see what happens. But I'm not like I know expected minutes better than other people, which some people do. Some people know it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. And Johnny also mentioned about actually like as an advice to uh, new people to the analytics, uh, trying their own maybe models or at least playing with the numbers and data to get a better sense of what models are trying to do and how they are useful and also get a sense of how fragile they can be if you have a very rough model. And anything else you want to add, Johnny? Um, I don't think so. Just yeah. good luck, everyone, for the new season. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not yeah. to it. I'm, yeah, I'm good luck to you now, too. I think. <laughs> Yeah, starting to pique my interest. I think a bit before when the prices dropped, we were a bit like, oh, well, 
what we're doing now. But there are problems to <laughs> solve. There's always stuff to do. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So good luck, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Don't beat me. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you to all our fantastic listeners for tuning in again. Remember, as you gear up for the new season, this could be a great season to try some analytics and optimization because we still have time until the season starts. And that's it for today's episode. Until next time, stay curious and stay analytical.